can't but, help but see. I'm walking along. Uh, I'm, I'm just paying attention only to my own world. I'm walking along on 16th Street the other day and just reading signs. Uh, there are those of us who read signs, and then there are those who apparently never see this world around us. One of the most significant signs here in New York is a sign that flashes M-O-N-Y. Off and on, M-O-N-Y. Do you know that I was in New York for over three months before I realized that that wasn't a misspelling? <laughs> it's true. I, I, I had no idea what this meant. And I just thought, well, it's New York, you know. And I, I, I used to walk up and down Broadway at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that thing would go M-O-N-Y. I said, why doesn't somebody get that thing fixed? This is beginning to bug me. M-O-N-Y. M-O-N-Y. It would just flash. And then it would go M-O-N-Y. 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 And underneath it, it would say 314. 315 M-O-N-Y. And then there would be a little yellow pole or something. Go, and there would be a green star at the top. M-O-N-Y. And I'm walking along Broadway trying to figure out why aren't they getting that thing fixed. Everybody is seeing it all over town, this misspelling. This is awful. <laughs> So, so either you look at it or you don't. You know, I find that most people don't, and those who don't always figure that those who do are a little bit out of their minds. What's this young man speaking about? Well, I'm walking along 16th Street the other day. Madam, how do you feel this one? I'm walking along 16th Street on the west side, and I, and I notice in through one of the doorways, you know, that there's the little ante room or the lobby into one of these office buildings where there's the automatic elevator that goes up and down and there's this big directory hanging in there with all the little white letters and it tells where everything is. And then there's usually two or three big signs that say barber shop to the right or coffee shop to the left or there's a, uh, an arrow that points and says telephones that way. Has it ever occurred to you that one of the major industries of New York is telephoning? Honestly, it really is one of the major industries here in New York City is just plain telephoning. I don't mean getting anything done about it. I mean just telephoning. <laughs> There's always a line of people standing in front of a telephone booth telephoning. If you could somehow get, get, get a corner on that market, if you could collect one cent on every one of these... these <laughs> don't worry, somebody is. <laughs> Excuse me, madam. I, I can't help it, you know. <laughs> don't feel sorry for the phone company. <laughs> They have little itsy-bitsy pink phones now that light up in the dark. <laughs> I can see Wallace Berry. <laughs> He's rushing. He rushes into the. He rushes into this room to make a phone call. Some disaster has happened, and he grabs a hold of this little itsy-bitsy, uh, this little John Quill yellow phone, the one that lights up in the dark. He's trying to dial it, and his finger can't fit into the. <laughs> <laughs> come on, man! Man! Oh, come on, man! Oh, what's the matter with this phone? And his finger is caught in the dial. <laughs> Excuse me, madam. 
So I'm walking along 16th Street, and I look in there, and there's a big sign that says coffee shop, and there's another big sign that says barber shop that way. And then above it, there's a sign that says the Margaret Sanger Bureau. And there's a great big blue and white sign, and all it says is fertility, one flight up. Well, I saw that one, and I walked on a little ways, and then this is beginning to soak down into my consciousness. <laughs> You're going to understand the nature of our fears. Uh, who would like to shoot an arrow into the air with me? I mean, you know, not worry much about where it lands. I mean, you know, just up it goes. M O N Y. M O N Y. M O N Y. Three one six. Well, I suspect, though, however, that these are the little secrets. Speaking of secrets, we have with us today the Village Voice. We've been keeping it neatly secret here for the past 16 minutes. And we have with us the Village Voice today. And in case any of you are interested, uh, on the current issue of the Village Voice, the front page, I have a small sketch which I did of the new Village Voice office. I would like to... Uh, point out that if you are visiting the village over the weekend, you know, this is the day that the big uh, art show gets underway down there, officially, that is. And right in the heart of Sheridan Square now, directly across the street, as a matter of fact, it's uh, dry, directly angling across the street, is the paper book gallery. But the Village Voice has a new office. And more than that, uh, I'm, I'm, of course, you know my involvement with the Village Voice. Did I ever tell you how this first started? Uh, this is this is something that might be of some interest to you, but it's a strange thing how how a long involved uh, period of your life will begin. Usually, it begins quietly on cat's feet. Uh, often, you're not even aware of it. And I'll tell you, I was not aware of this when it happened. I used to do the all night radio show here at WOR, as you know. Funny thing, how I got involved in that too. Uh, that that's another story which will wait for other days of revelations to come. Revelations, of course, in capital letters, ancient carved stone letters. But uh, I was doing this late night radio show, and I was hot. Boy, we used to do it out at Carteret, New Jersey. And I don't know whether you've ever worked out there, Jim, but uh, in August or in July, when the Carteret, New Jersey transmitter house has really worked itself up to a lather, about two o'clock in the morning, when the the heat is laying over the Jersey bogs out there. It is just unbelievably hot in that building with that 50-kilowatt transmitter going and no ventilation at all. And I used to sit out there wearing nothing but a pair of shorts and work all night, just slave all night, trying to dredge things out of my mind, <laughs> trying to see what was right down there in that dark little... Have you ever read Freud's definition of the id? You know about this little thing? This beautiful definition. I remember when I first ran into it. Uh, I would suggest if you, if you're looking up uh, things today, I would suggest you look up Freud's uh, original definition of id, and you will find that there are many poetic overtones to this thing, and it describes that little gray furry creature that's within each one of us, Jim. That little gray dark creature, which none of us really know anything about which has no connection with logic, which has no connection with mores, morals, which has no connection with the learned way of life. 
but which nevertheless lurks underneath that surface of each one of us, even you, madam. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no little gray, furry creature living with inside of me, Mr. Shepherd. Oh, no. Well, I'm out there working late, two, three o'clock in the morning, and I'm dealing with this little gray, furry creature, the id, the ego, the superego, and all the rest of the layers, you know, and I'm digging and digging and digging. And out of the darkness, one late night, oh, boy, well, it must have been four o'clock in the morning, I got a telephone call from this guy. And all he said was, uh, I'm Ed Fancher, and I have this little unsuccessful newspaper, and uh, I sure would like to have a piece from you once. I'd just like to say hello, because I figure you're fighting the same fight. I don't know what it is either, but it's the fight. And so a couple of days later, we had uh, we had a... We had a cucumber sandwich somewhere, and that was the beginning of all of it. And right now, the Village Voice is one of the most important new journals in America. It really does truly have an international readership and also an international reputation. It's very seriously read in many of the universities throughout Europe as, a, as an example of a side of America that very few Europeans even know exists. You know, the idea that Europeans have about us is often just people who are concerned with next year's car, who are concerned with last week's big, gigantic movie, who are concerned with what Marilyn Monroe is saying to Yves Montan this week. Uh, these are the things which most Europeans think we are deeply concerned with. And I would say, uh, in all fairness, that in large part they're right. But the village voice represents a divergent view. And I'm not speaking of a politically divergent view. I'm speaking of a divergent view of the nature of America. And if you'd be interested, I think you'd... Uh, I can't imagine anyone reading the village voice for more than a month without being uh, either very angry at it or very amused by it and or a combination of all the mingled emotions you feel when you're involved with something that people have done. It's a, it's a most complete newspaper. Uh, it, of course, uh, this is the paper that discovered and made famous uh, Jules Pfeiffer. Uh, Nat Hentoff has done some of the absolutely best stuff he's ever done in the pages of the Village Voice. All sorts of people have written for it. And on the current issue, I have done a drawing. In case you're interested, you will find it there on the front page. Uh, <laughs> like everybody else who draws, I say, oh, it's not one of my best. Actually, it's one of my rottenest. But uh, you'll find it there. And it's just this kind of paper. And, and nobody, this might come to some as some surprise to you, nobody who writes for the Village Voice gets a cent for what they do. Everybody does it purely because this is a journal where they know they can do it. And they know that it's welcomed. And if you would like to find out about the Village Voice, if you would like to subscribe to it, it's $3 for one year, and it's a weekly, of course. They are taking, they are taking calls right now. The phone number is Watkins 44669. And incidentally, one little word. If you have been planning to subscribe and have been putting it off, uh, there is, uh, there have been words said around the voice that very shortly, due to tremendously rising costs, they might perhaps very, in the very near future, be forced to raise the cost of their subscriptions. So maybe you better, and this is not, this is not advertising uh, jazz or gimmick. I'm just merely telling you a fact. Uh, so if you'd like to take advantage of the current subscription price for one solid year, you will be ultimately irritated, you will be amused, you will be fascinated. This is the Village Voice. No, no, please, out. 
Watkins 4 4669 is the phone number. WA4 4669. Give them a call right now at the village. And oh, incidentally, if you're living out of town, uh, reverse the charges. It's okay. This, in fact, they want you to reverse the charges, so it's all right. Uh, no matter where you're calling from. WA4 4669. And oh, incidentally, if you are going off to college, I would suggest that you call them now. Make arrangements to have the voice mailed to whatever school you're going to. They would be glad to do it. WA4-4669 is the number, and they're on duty to take calls right now. And incidentally, you don't have to, you know, just give them a call, give them your name, and they'll start sending the paper to you and bill you for it. WA4-4669. And while we're on the subject of the village, uh, one more note before we get too far afield from that. Uh, this afternoon at 5 o'clock, now listen very carefully, the paper book gallery is opening its newest paper book gallery store. Uh, it is right near the Howard Johnson's on 6th Avenue. You know where the Howard Johnson's is down there on lower 6th Avenue, right at 8th Street? Well, it is about a door and a half to the left of that Howard Johnson's, right down there on 8th Street, right catty corner across from the Needicks there. Right on the, the west side of 6th Avenue. Now listen carefully. I'm sitting down there a couple of nights ago with Marty, and all the guys are hammering stuff up, and they're putting up the shelves and so on. I said, Marty, I want to, may I make a request? And he said, what, what? I said, may I make the first purchase? How many times have you walked into a little two-bit diner somewhere and above the cash register, there is this little black frame, and in the black frame is a dollar bill, Jim. Has it ever, has it ever, has it just briefly, has it ever gone through your mind that you would have liked to have been there to watch the guy make the first purchase or have to have made the first purchase? Has it ever really gone through your mind? Well, I, I, I just couldn't help but say, look, Marty, unless you have lined somebody else up to make the ceremonial first purchase, can I do it? And he says, yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> like that, you know, sort of, yeah. And so I said, well, when are you opening? He says, well, we're going to open Saturday because the art show opens Saturday, and we want to have it all, you know, all at once. We're going to open Saturday night. So I says, what time? He said, 5 o'clock. I said, well, will you promise not to sell anything to anybody nor allow anybody in the shop until 5 o'clock? And he says, yeah. And so we got calling back and forth, and now here is the straight dope. I am going down to the paper book gallery, the new one. This is the brand new one on 6th Avenue, which is being opened today. I'm going to be down there at 5 o'clock, and I will enter the store all by myself. <laughs> I will look over all the assembled goods. I will judiciously select what I wish to select and put down my dollar bill and make the first purchase at the paper book gallery in their new store on 6th Avenue. And I think this is going to be a store that's going to be around for a 100 years. It's a beautiful store. And, and I, I think it's a tremendous... It's, it's one of those things... I've always wanted to be the first guy across the new George Washington Bridge. Never will be, you know. I've always wanted... Can you imagine who was the first guy who made it across the Triborough Bridge and who paid the first fare? 
this unsung hero someplace. And do you know that, that there is a whole group of people who travel to openings all over the country and who compete with one another to be the first to travel through the, the open ribbon, you know, when the ribbon is cut? Oh, he drives out in his car and drives like mad. The first guy who drove down the, the new New Jersey turnpike. Do you know that there is a club of people who do this? And they compete one against the other, and they're very well known to each other? You know that there's a, new, there's a guy who hasn't missed a bridge opening in America for over 30 years and who has been first across over 20 bridges in America? This is a true unsung hero. He has never been on the Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> his fame is his own, but by George, he's there. You know, he knows. And, and I'm going to be the first to buy something. Wouldn't it be fantastic? You know what I, I, I'd love to do? I'd love to walk into the paper, the new paper book gallery, see, and walk all up and down there, and all the people are waiting for me to make my first purchase. And then I, uh, they're, they're looking in, see, and Shepard is walking around, and, and the word is getting back. He's in the Kierkegaard section now. Oh, he's, he's looking at Camus now. He, he's over in the dramatic section. Oh, what's he buying? He's, he's, he's talking to the clerk now. It looks like he's getting mad. Something's wrong, Fred. He's getting mad. Shepard's coming back out. He's, he's, he's coming back out. He, he's walking through the crowd. He's on his way to the A Street bookstore. Shepard is not buying anything for the opening purchase at the paper book. He's mad. He's... <laughs> well, anyway, today at 5, now listen very carefully. At 5 o'clock, I am going to be at the paper book bookstore, the gallery down there, and I think it should be a gas. I'm going to make my first purchase, the first purchase ever made in this new store. And, listen carefully, Marty Geisler was able to, somehow, I have nowhere, no knowledge of where he did it. Now, now don't, don't ruin it. This is WORAM with FM New York, okay? So, Marty has been able to gather someplace... 300 copies of I, Libertine. These have been off the press, have been off the market since 1956. These are true collector's items. This is the last of the great printing of I, Libertine. And, and uh, no jazz, this is a true collector's item. And I think in 20 years, this will be one of the great literary curios of our time. He is going to give away to the first 300 people who show up one copy of I, Libertine. And I will be on hand, in case you're interested, to throw it in your face with, with the accompanying Excelsior involved. And if you're, in, if you're really interested in this, if you really want to know what all that was about, I think for about ten minutes or so, at around 5.30, I will be on hand to discuss it to anybody who wants to know about it, what really happened in that whole, that whole strange... Uh, thing that developed here in America in 1956. Uh, that will be at the paper book gallery. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, there are none of these things around. And where Marty got them, I do not know. He said, I have been able to get 300 copies, and these are the last of them. He bought them from some warehouse someplace. And these are real collector's items, and he will give them away to the first 300 people who come in and merely say Excelsior. He's just not going to hand them out with every purchase, you know. You just got you got to identify yourself. You got to say Excelsior, and you got to have the look in the eye, Dad, or you're not going to get away with it. This is the paper book gallery today at five. Now, this paper book gallery. Don't go down to the one on Seventh Avenue. Don't go down to the one on Third Street. 
It is on 6th Avenue. Just take the subway right down to the 4th Street exit. You know where the 4th Street exit is? On the 7th Avenue line? Or is it the 6th Avenue line? What is it? IRT. That's it. Just get off. Get off at the 4th Street or the NYU exit. Just get off. Uh, they sometimes call it the 8th Street exit. But it's the 4th Street exit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's about nine different signs down there, but it's most generally called the 4th Street exit. Just get off, and you'll pop out above ground. You'll be at 6th Avenue and 8th Street. And there, right next to the Howard Johnson, will be the paper book gallery. And I will be there with my hot buck in my hand. Getting <laughs> ready to make the first purchase. You know, this, this, I don't believe that historians generally record the kind of history that really is the history of a people. Uh, I think little things like this thing that's happening tonight at the paper book gallery, these are the things that most of us are really involved in, these, these strange little surrealistic situations. And I have a feeling that something surrealistic is liable to happen tonight at the paper book gallery. Oh, yes, they're going to have a ribbon, a specially selected ribbon across the door. The ribbon will be very carefully cut by a very carefully selected listener. And all of us will charge in and, you know, the first guy will steal the first book. The first, <laughs> first fist fight will break out. And, and the whole mess, you know, the whole mess will start and will go on endlessly then from hour after hour after hour. The whole business of business has... Can, can you imagine the first... I'll tell you, one of my friends, you know, there's so many unrecorded things. One of my friends at the University of Pennsylvania, who's a famous anthropologist, got back from, from the great Amazon basin. And uh, he had made a, a discovery and is now writing a paper on it. And he says it's one of the most important discoveries yet involving the very dimmest, the very beginnings, the very, very the, the, the itsy-bitsy seedlings of mankind, the beginnings of all of this mess. I mean, the whole thing. It led to everything. All of it. There are these two guys sitting on the shores of this antediluvian lake. It's la it later became known as Lake Titicaca. Lake Titicaca. You know that, <laughs> you know that I'm walking, just parenthetically I have to put this in, I'm walking along on the east side, up around 78th, something like that, 75th or something, way over on the east side, 2nd Avenue, I believe it was, at 3.30 in the morning, three days ago, and all the stores along there are black. They're closed. All kinds of little antique shops and places where they sell uh, appliances and one thing and another. And right in the middle of, a, of the block is a store that is not only wide open, the lights are lit in there, the doors are open, and people are going in and out at 3.30 in the morning. What kind of a store do you think it was? Well, I'll tell you. It was unbelievable, and I'm telling you the truth. This is what it was. The, the lights were all lit, and I saw that store. I was walking downtown. You know, I was I was coming from the uptown side, and I see the store. I thought, well, is this an all-night bakery or an all-night restaurant, or what is it, you know? And I just kept seeing it. And I, I, I sidled over across the street to be on the side, and I saw the people going in and out. People were really going in and out at 3.30 in the morning. And there was a bright light bulb hanging there in the window. And I get to this store, and what do you think it is? There's a great big sign printed in this awful red print with yellow outlines with a strange-looking zodiac uh, superimposed with stars and moons 
and all sorts of black hands and everything all over the window. And it says, Madam Titicaca, hand reader, palmist, advisor. Madam Titicaca, hand reader, palmist, advisor. <laughs> she was doing an all-night, 24-hour-a-day rushing business. I'm telling you the truth. And, and you could see these people going in and out of there. What were they being advised on at 3.30 in the morning? Well, of course, I'll tell you this. At 3.30 in the morning, this is the time when we all need advice. This is, the, this is the dark night of the soul. When you lie in your bed and you look up at that dark ceiling, and once in a while, a little beam of light will cross it as a car makes the big bend around the big tree. And you lie there. You say, I wish, I wonder. Oh, the master plan. Lake, Lake Titicaca never knew such a world. Well, Madam Titicaca knows exactly what she's about. Palmist, reader, advisor. You imagine yourself sitting in there when all of a sudden she gets a call from the State Department? <laughs> I'm just, you know, I can't help it. And so these two guys are sitting by the shores of Lake Titicaca. One guy was named Charlie, as far as my friend can ascertain. It was the early version of Charlie. The, the, the way it was really pronounced is unpronounceable to the modern, uh, the modern tongue. His friend was Og, for the purposes of identification. The two of them sat there and they contemplated their navel and had been contemplating their navel now for four eons. Uh, figuratively speaking, of course. When one would topple over sideways and disintegrate into a pile of bleached bones, he would be replaced by another Og or Charlie. And both of them sat looking out over the gray waters of this ancient antediluvian primeval lake. Everything was gray. The trees hadn't even been invented yet. And the two of them are just sitting there on their duffs, sort of crouched over, hunched, looking. Once in a while, a little gray vapor fog would rise out of the center of the lake. And occasionally, Charlie, who was the taller of the two, would go down to the shores of the lake itself, pick up a few clams and come back, knock them together, and the two of them would sit and enjoy some little necks. Very ancient little necks, and both in and out of season, they were that type. And they both sat there and looked. Until one day it happened. No one knows quite how or why it happened, but it did. Charlie goes down to the shore of the lake, picks up three or four clams, comes back, kneels down with a cracking of his ancient knees, and begins to devour a little neck. Og sat there respectfully waiting for his share. Just waiting. Nothing happened. Charlie devoured another little neck clam. And finally, Og, unable to contain himself any longer, nudged Charlie in the lower floating rib with his elbow. <coughs> Charlie said nothing but very carefully, very deliberately, and very... Uh, intriguingly, shall we say, opened his third little neck directly under the nose of Og. And there it lay, that succulent morsel of primeval flesh, ready to be devoured, ready to be enjoyed. Charlie said nothing, but quietly... He sipped the juice from the succulent third clam and just sat and waited. Finally, Og can contain himself no longer. He reached out for the clam. Charlie moved it out of his grasp by a fraction of an inch. Just moved it back a little bit. 
It was the first advertising scheme. Og reached further. And then Charlie, without so much as batting an eyelash, to this day he doesn't know why he did it, motioned in the general direction of Og's stone knife, which Charlie had admired for lo these many seasons, being of a particularly interesting grade, variety, and color of flint. And it slowly began to dawn on Og. He moved backwards a little, down on his haunches. You see, it was well known that between the two, Charlie was the much better clam digger than the other. He was, he was talented. Og leans back on his haunches and contemplates the infinite for a split second, and without thinking twice, he made that first fatal move. Talk about the apple. <laughs> he reached down, pulled out his flint knife, immediately handed it over to Charlie and made a grab for that succulent morsel of quivering little neck flesh. <laughs> and that's how it all started. Charlie tucked Og's knife in his belt next to his stone knife and went down to the shore and began to lay in a larger stock of clams. He was waiting for the crowd to arrive. And that's how it all began. Isn't that a fantastic discovery? Wait till this one hits the pages of National Geographic. Wait till life does an editorial on our ancient primeval friends about that one. Do you know what this led to? It's led to the paper book gallery opening at 5 o'clock tonight, me going down there to make the first purchase. It's led to the Ed Sullivan Show. It's led to politics, fistfights, and gunfire of all nature, of all qualities. The unrecorded history. Speaking of unrecorded history, what are they going to say about us a thousand years from now? I mean, really, what are they going to think of us? What are they honestly going to think of you and us together, aggregate, in this vast circus of life. Oh, 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 the American dream. Oh, the American mission. Oh, the dire, the dire, dire, dark broodings and the thoughts that lurk deep in the soul of man. I can remember sitting outside that radio when I was a kid. I'm forever blowing bubbles. I am forever dreaming dreams. I'm forever chasing rainbows. I am forever chasing rainbows. Only an American could have written that song. And I'm sitting out there, listening to my radio when I'm a kid. Crouched next to the Crosley Peter Pan model. Believe it or not, our Crosley radio of that period had inscribed in thin etched gold leaf lines the figure of Peter Pan and Peter Pan is blowing his flutes and his pipes and out of my radio comes this phrase am I the am I the only one that heard this please one person tell me tell me can anyone else hear it <laughs> who knows the 
lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> who, who, who said this? Come on, wake up in there. One of you, Ed, somebody. Who said that? You didn't hear it, did you? Uh-huh. None of you know what I might have said. And I'm not going to be the one to tell you. I did just exactly what you're writing on your log that I didn't do. <laughs> Now, come on. Did anybody else out there hear that? Who knows? The evil that lurks in the hearts of men. And I am nine years old sitting out there. I am right in the heart of my Bobsy twin stage. I have just graduated from Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, and I am just beginning my Wizard of Oz period. I had not yet encountered a true humbug. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> yes, it can't be that I'm the only one. Oh, American dream. Cast the law for the bath there. Please set that back, Jim. Set that back. I've got to. I've got to do it again. Set it back. Just give me about thirty. See, there's nobody. Nobody remembers that. Who knows what evil? Listen. Who knows what 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 idiocy lurks in the hearts of men? Who knows what insanity lurks there just below the surface? But then again, on the other hand, who can make the statement that thus is so and so is thus? Robert, listen to this little note that I clipped out of the New York Times. Robert Hilly Hill, a fellowship on Sunday afternoon, paid off a bet made during deer season with Frederick Fritz Miller of Indian Mills at the Buckshot Deer Club in Indian Hills. I'd like to point out something. I'm always a little leery of people who, between their first name and their last name, there is a name that is in quotes: Fritz, Bucky, Freddy, Harold. <laughs> Hill bet the club would get seven deer, and Miller bet they wouldn't. The loser was to push the winner in a wheelbarrow from the clubhouse to tumble in a distance of over three miles. The club got six deer. Hill, the pusher, was dressed with short gunning pants, plaid shirt, and blonde wig. Miller wore gunning clothes with an aluminum foil crown matching the aluminum foil covered wheelbarrow. The wheelbarrow had an aluminum foil-covered canopy, but the wind blew it off in the field and upset the wheelbarrow so that it had to be taken off to continue the trip. They were allowed two short stops along the way for guess what? The entire three miles was pushed in a wheelbarrow by a man wearing an aluminum foil crown, pushing a man in a wheelbarrow wearing a blonde wig, because they only shot six deer this year instead of the seven that had been wagered. A truck accompanied them on the entire trip, furnishing music by Sonny Jennings and his cowboy musicians. All of them wearing six guns and ten-gallon hats. Nineteen automobiles loaded with cars and people followed to witness the event. Must have been some religious thing that had to do with a sacrifice to the great god of the forest plenty. They only got six deer instead of seven. Only in America. Only, only, 
in the sweet dream. Kill it! <laughs> oh, hey, listen, speaking of killing it, uh, I talked... I talked to the electronic workshop about ten minutes before we went on the air. They have exactly, get this, now listen carefully, they have just three, three, just three hi-fi systems left that are to be shipped out to whatever college or wherever it is that you want this thing to be shipped within the next week. This is the last week that this system will be on sale at the Hi-Fi Electronic Workshop. I'd like to tell you briefly, in case you missed the previous program about it, I would like to tell you what this is about. That the Electronic Workshop down on 8th Street in the village about six months ago decided that what was really needed in the high-fidelity field was a compact, true, high-fidelity component system that could be bought, could be purchased, uh, within the price range of these ridiculous portable or these ridiculous package, quote, hi-fi systems or hi-fi sets that people have been paying out good money for and regretting ever since. In short, they put together a very special kind of a high-fidelity system. When I say system, I mean separate high-quality components, which are all put together, all ready to run. All you have to do is plug in about three little plugs, and you will get with this system complete instructions on how to do it. Now, this system uh, sells within the price range. It actually sells for about half of what you'd spend for a mediocre television set. And believe me, it is a true high-quality, high-fidelity system. I'll tick off exactly what it involves. It involves a Harman Kardon a Harman Kardon amplifier with preamplifier, and incidentally, Harman Kardon is good equipment. It, can, it includes a, an English Garrard four-speed record changer. This is an automatic record changer with a GE magnetic cartridge, uh, a GE ceramic magnetic cartridge, one of the, one of the finest, one of the finest rugged hi-fi cartridges on the market today, with a diamond stylus, incidentally. It also includes a Hartsdale speaker system, and that is encased in a Hartsdale walnut-finished speaker cabinet, and all of it fits into your bookshelf. It is, it's perfect for a college dormitory, absolutely perfect. It also includes, well, it includes all the wiring, it includes all the equipment, it includes everything for a true hi-fi system. And incidentally, for just a few extra dollars later on, you can convert it to stereo if you wish. Now, this whole thing, uh, the way it stands, if you were to buy it in any one of the, quote, discount stores, any one of the famous discount stores, this thing would cost you around $150. They are putting it out in a package. There are just three of them left, just three of these systems left. Now, get me, this is, this is, this is the straight story. There are just three left this afternoon. They are putting it together in a package that sells for $119. Now, that's far less than you'd even, than you pay for the so-called package units. They, don't, they wouldn't even come near the quality of this system. All high quality, and it's guaranteed unconditionally for one full year, not by the manufacturer, but by the electronic workshop. Now, if you would like to, and oh, by the way, they will send this, this system 
to wherever you want it to be sent. If, if you live in a small apartment, this is perfect because it fits right into a bookshelf. You can stick it any place that you'd like to get it out of the way, and it will work perfectly in a bookshelf. It will work perfectly for a college dormitory. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's spectacularly fitted for that. And if you are going off to school and you would like to take a really good hi-fi system that will really give you years and years and years of excellent service, you better get in touch with them right now. And their number is Gramercy 30140. Their address is 26 West 8th Street in the village. And they will be open till about 9 o'clock tonight. Excuse me, 8 o'clock. They told me uh, it's only 8 o'clock tonight. It's 26 West 8th Street. And I would suggest that if you want to want to have one of these things set off and set aside for yourself, you better do it and, and call them up quickly to have them set it aside and come in and look at it. There is no obligation, of course. If you, if you don't like it when you see it, fine. But I suggest you give them a call. It's Gramercy 30140. And believe me, after this show, this system will never again be mentioned on this program. This is not... Uh, this is not one of those tricky things. They put it together. They put about 35 of them together three weeks ago, and that is the end of it. Uh, they, they make about yay much money on it, just a little tiny sliver, enough to just pay for the postage. And they will send it to wherever you are going, postage-free and guaranteed to work. It's Gramercy 30140, 26 West A Street, the electronic workshop. And incidentally, while we're on the subject of the village, Right down the street from the workshop and up around the corner, over on 3rd Street, 82 West 3rd Street, is, believe me, the finest oriental restaurant that I know of in these parts. If you're planning to make the New York scene and you're looking for a good place to eat, and incidentally, they will be open Sunday. They'll be open from noon all the way on through over the Labor Day weekend. I would suggest you mark this one down. This is Ying and Yang, which is currently getting quite a play by a lot of people. And many of them don't even dig oriental food, and they find that this is completely different than what they've been used to having. It's at Ying and Yang, 82 West 3rd Street. They're open till around, oh, I'd say 1 o'clock this morning. They're open till midnight on Sundays, and they will be open till, oh, maybe midnight on Monday. But they open at noon, and they have a bar. And please wear a jacket. This is 82 West 3rd Street, Ying and Yang. Here's the name of the organization there. And speaking of organizations, you know, it's, it's a funny business about organizations. Uh, we're both afraid of them, and we want to be part of them. I don't know which, which it is we want to do. We both want to be in the circus, and we want to watch the circus. We both want to decry. It's, it's, have you ever had the feeling that the whole town is covered with thousands of IBM machines, all of which are in touch with one another late at night by telephone? by automatic telephone, and they are exchanging data about guess what? <laughs> there was this little picture in the Times that showed one IBM machine talking to another over a telephone line, and I wondered what they were talking about. Other IBM machines? Oh, no. If you want to fly the coop, do it via Lufthansa Airlines. I mean, it, there might not be much time left. Contact your travel agent. Tell them to hold a ticket in abeyance ready that any minute now you're liable to have to make a quick getaway uh, to central wherever it is you want to go. I mean, way far from the coastline someplace. And sit and collect small glass bells that were made by small Swiss glass bell makers. This is Lufthansa. 
the friendly German airlines, where they really turn out a ham sandwich. Be the first in your block to make the total break. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Help your children start the school year right. Get them the world's only fully illustrated color encyclopedia. Twelve volumes altogether now available at your Flying A service station at the sensational low, low price. Just 49 cents for volume one and 99 cents each for the rest of the set. The Harwin Picture Encyclopedia. Extra easy to read and packed with pictures of important people, places, and things. Even modern rockets and missiles. And right now, your Flying A dealer is making a special introductory offer. Volume one at the bargain price of only 49 cents when you stop in at Flying A. Volumes 2 through 12 cost only 99 cents each. It means every time you visit your Flying A dealer, you can add another book till the whole set is yours. So help your children start the school year right. Start your encyclopedia set today at Flying A. This is WOR AM and FM New York, owned and operated by RKO General.